Welcome to Empower Half an Hour, a mental health podcast that brings firsthand interviews and testimonies to you. Welcome to Empower Half an Hour. I'm your guest host, Derek Ford. Today we have the host of Empower Half an Hour, Brandon Spatz. Brandon has been a member of Miracle Clubhouse since 2016. He serves on their advisory board, as well as a few other committees in his community. Welcome to the show, Brandon. Thanks for having me, Derek. Glad to be here. Brandon, can you give us your mental health background? So I'm diagnosed with bipolar 1 disorder with psychotic features, OCD, generalized anxiety disorder, childhood trauma, and anorexia nervosa. I'd say the first time I'd realized that I had any symptoms of mental illness was back when I was in kindergarten. I actually um, had a pattern of intrusive thoughts that um, were contamination. So um, I went through a time where I was really deeming anyone that really was unkept, uh, looked like they were sick. I deemed them as contaminated and I would avoid them quite truly. I would, um, I would avoid them and, um, because I didn't want to get sick. I didn't want to, um, contaminate myself at a young age. That was really, I mean, it's kind of unusual, uh, for a five to six year old to have those kind of feelings and thoughts. Um, the other thing was leaving the house was hard. Uh, when I was going to school, I had um, some intrusive thoughts and uh, that led to compulsion. So I, I would always go out to get on the school bus. Like before I left the house, I'd have to run back to my room and do some rechecking, uh, which was like my first drill checking ritual. Um, those were really kind of the first like things I can identify uh, back at that age. Uh, I didn't get my formal diagnosis of OCD until I was 11, though. My first first or second trauma was when my father was diagnosed with stage 4 non-Hodgkin lymphoma back when I was 7 years old. Everything changed um, at that moment because it really affects the whole family. It's not one person uh, that is affected. It's it's the whole entire uh, family. And it just led to a whole bunch of uncertainty in life. I really struggled with knowing what was going on sometimes because... At age seven, it's hard to understand, you know, that your your father is sick, your father might die um, from cancer, and it was really terrifying. I really wish it never happened, but that's not that's not realistic. That's not life. Um, I 
went through um, some emotional um, abandonment issues because of his cancer. Uh, he actually had to go to Cleveland Clinic for two months. My mom and my dad went up there just so he could get a life-saving transplant of uh, stem cells. So I actually stayed with my grand. Me and my brother stayed with my grandparents for two months, um, and that was very disruptive in my childhood because, like, I didn't get to see my parents. But in the same way, my grandparents were like my second parents, um, and you know, it's 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 always been like that. And I couldn't thank them enough for what they did for my family. Um, and we're a very tight-knit family. We we all always have been. But there's been so many, um, you know, obstacles we've we've come across from my father's illnesses to later on my my mental illness. Um, going through that was different in every way um seeing him de decline in health um quickly and seeing him go through chemo i went to a lot of his appointments with him and it was interesting because like that's like to this day like if i get blood work blood test um i will wish he was there because i connected to him with that um with medical type of um, procedures, and that really um, led to um, self-harm. I, I didn't realize at the time it was self-harm, and it took me a long time to accept that I had self-harm history, you know, with, with that, and I had so many different ways because I... Um, in my mind, the the way I could connect with my father was to feel pain. I I to this day um really struggle with when I feel pain. I I, I feel connection, a deep connection to my father. Every um every time I get sick, I I have that kind of mindset like. My father went through this too, and that's how I feel connected to him. It's a very sick way of, of, of having connection, but in the same way, that's how I how I um, how I go through things. Um, my first psychotic episode was when I was eleven, so my father was in remission by that point, but in the same way he still had complications. Um, I remember that, that first night vividly at times. I was, I only remember bits and pieces because psychosis, I, I was in and out of reality. But I will tell you this, I, I remember hallucinating visually auditory wise and then also tactile hallucinations just laying on my bed at age 11 staring at the the walls and it was truly terrifying i there's a reason i don't watch 
horror movies, at least at that time, um, because I was living in a horror movie. Um, there was no doubt about it. The things I've seen through hallucinations, the things I've, I've heard, um, they still get me sometimes. And for an 11-year-old child to go through that was unusual. And in my mind, you know, it's, it's, it was, it was terrifying for my parents, I'm sure. Uh, they, they were in my room, I remember. Um, and the light was on. I, I, my, my walls of, of my room were yellow. Um, just a, a thought I, I've had because that, I associate the, the color yellow sometimes with things, but they were trying to figure out what to do with me because I was out of my mind completely. I wasn't making sense. I was, I was, um, I was terrified and, and they got me to the psychiatric hospital and I was always tall for my age. Uh, the reason I tell you this is because, um, because I really was put in the wrong age group um, in the psych hospital. I, they had a 13 to 18 group and a 12 to, you know, 12 to as low as it goes. And I was put with 13 to 18 year olds. You really honestly earn, learn so much in a psych hospital, but also you can learn some bad things too. And I was not emotionally and... Uh, mature enough to learn those things and you know some of these things were self-harm and drug abuse and and my brain could not uh, wrap around it and I, I struggled I, I really did I had a psychiatrist that was in the hospital I was assigned to and she was very cold um, super just no emotion on her face and I, I don't do well with that um, and it, it really led to when I got discharged she was my psychiatrist and she caused a lot of trauma um, through um, not explaining things she, she just would prescribe medication she would just um treat my parents um, very cold and it, it shouldn't be like that when you're dealing with a child um, I don't get into that as much so I'll leave it there um, but I was struggling to figure out the next step once I got discharged because I was right I just started sixth grade I, this was right before my sixth grade year it was I believe July and I had just turned 11 in, in June it was um disruptive I, I I struggled those sixth grade and seventh grade year to not only reestablish myself in the community but also be a child you know I was still 11 and you know I should just try to fit in and I couldn't do that because I was still going in and out of psychosis. So that really um, led to another hospital stage um, about, I'd say, a year later. And 
I had my first manic episode around that time. I actually had one in the hospital. Because my original diagnosis before bipolar disorder was uh, depression. But I had that uh, episode uh, in the, the hospital and I've had so many psychiatrists now tell me, um, you know, without a doubt, you're bipolar one. Um, you know, that's never changed. And I believe it because I've I've been on that cycle of ups and downs my uh, most of my life. I, it's hard. I looking back, it's really hard to tell. But it's like you you can only analyze so much uh, looking back at your past. But I've been dealing with mental illness now for fifteen years, diagnosed, um, and I'm only twenty six. It's it's really crazy to think that, um, but it's a journey. It really is, and. Um, I, I really have learned a lot from it. So I was I was going on with the, the, the manic episode and you get to that point where I was I was just so delusional and I I thought I could fly in the hospital. Um and this for my for my mother was was um terrifying. Um, it was a good thing that they had all the windows, you know, bolted closed and things like that, because, um, who knows if I had the chance, what I would have done is when, when you're delusional, you really, truly believe that you can do anything, you know, and I, I could have done that in my mind. Now, looking back right now. No way. No, not at all. Um, it was just the delusional state I was in at such um, such time. After um, having that diagnosis, I, I, I went to school and was still trying to get adapted to it. Um, school was really challenging for me because dealing with a mental uh, illness, you're energy levels are already low and um the days that I did go to school I really wasn't there all the way um I didn't get really fit in with with any of the other kids um one of the hardest parts was um my 8th grade year right before going into to high school I Lost my best friend uh, that I had since kindergarten. Really, my one of my only friends. And um, I had a psychotic episode in front of him. Uh, it just happened, you know. And being that we were only like 13 at the time, that's a lot to go through. Uh, for, for someone outside of your home that's not used to you going into a psychotic episode to see. I think I really scared the crap out of him, you know, and I really am so sorry for for that happening, but it was out of my control. Um, and, of course, after that day, things with that relationship just kind of slowly went away. 
I was really upset um, because this this person I had known for so long, and um, I went through a lot of anger, a lot of frustrations because I I was I was unsure like what happened because I was still processing that incident of of really going into psychosis in front of him. And to that was just a big support system part that was was missing after that. Um, I I couldn't go to him because he didn't want to see me. So um, trying to adapt to that was was definitely was definitely hard. Shortly after. Um, Going on medications, I had a lot of weight gain uh, from a side effect, um, and I was always um, skinny. I'd say um, as a child, used to love it, um, but that weight gain was so rapid, and my self body image was just horrible i i hated everything about me i my self-esteem was gone um but in the same way i couldn't stop gaining weight for a while so i actually had to go to the lipid clinic and it was so hard because this this played a big role in, in in my eating disorder uh mind uh in my opinion I was told to lose weight. I was told, you know, given the, the, the resources I needed to lose weight of, you know, a healthy diet um, and then exercise routines. And it was every appointment was the same, just going in. And that's what was I was told. I was, you know, if I gained more weight, then it was a bad appointment. And that was stuck in my mind. And... I'll, I'll say more on that when I hit the eating disorder, um, on how impactful it was. Moving along to when I was going into my junior year of high school, I had uh, a side effect from the one medication and just long-term use that made my thyroid stop, um, stop working correctly, and I ended up losing weight. Uh, that summer um, at a rapid pace um, because of that. And you think I would be thrilled um, because that's what I was, you know, wanting all those years uh, since I gained that weight. Um, but even though I was less weight, I wasn't happy. I, I wasn't, my, my self-esteem was still down, my... My body image was just not where it should be, and I was crushed. I, I really was crushed that I, I didn't get that um, that real thought process change that I needed. I went into my junior year, and I actually changed schools because I was going to a career center at that point, so I had a focus of study that I could kind of try out and I ended up graduating from there two years later and my my father passed away 
from a second time of cancer um, when I was in my senior year of high school. Um, he passed away in October. And in my mind, I was really, I had prepared myself for this for 11 some years that I was going to be crushed, that I was going to be, you know, needing a psych hospital stay right away because, you know, I, I, I thought I couldn't handle that. But your body and your mind are a strong, strong thing. They, they're capable of so much. And I didn't know that at the time. Um, but I made it through. I, 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 I was very emotional, but like, I stayed strong and I, um, was able to keep going. And I think honestly, that's what my father would want. Um, and just saying that sounds so weird because I've, I've avoided talking about him in certain ways for different reasons. Um, and it was really just, um, it was a relief as well. Um, because we were in that, uh, time period of 11 years where he was sick, we had complications, you know, surgeries, all these different things that was, was hectic. And, um, it was, it was, um, in a way, a, a relief, but in the same way. I lost my father. I lost my, um, the person I could relate to a lot. My, um, my person that I loved and I'm still working on, on that because the, the truth is I never really grieved, um, like I should have. I just held it in. I, um, I didn't do so well on that and, um, I'm still paying for that now. Um, but one step at a time, and I'm okay with that. Um, that's fine. No, he passed away, and I ended up graduating that year. And I needed to know my next step, because usually when you're graduating, a lot of people go to college. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure, to be honest, what I was going to do. I, I knew I wanted to do some kind of further education. So I ended up finding a place through NAMI. Um, they recommended Miracle Clubhouse in Dayton, Ohio. And it was amazing. It was truly amazing when I went in that, that day. Um, I had so many you know, realizations over the next year of it's not just about me anymore because oftentimes when we have mental illness, you know, we're stuck in our own heads. They made me realize that, you know, there's a bigger picture in this world and, you know, you can do so much more. They empowered me to become the best person I could be. And I, they saved my life to be, to be, um, to be clear, they, they, they saved my life. They also, during that time when I was going there, I also went to college, um, community college, and I uh, gave it a shot. I, I went through a couple semesters in software development, and I was struggling. I just, it was, I think it was above my head. Um, 
which is okay. Um, so I ended up changing to culinary because my father was actually a cook for his life. And um, I gave it a shot. But a lot of the things change quickly because, as I mentioned earlier, I have an eating disorder. I have anorexia nervosa. I started running. Um, I had my first 5K, and I fell in love with with running because I had no prior, you know, experience or any sports in high school or anything like that. And I just kind of um, went head in because I, I have a very addictive personality. Um, and I, I quickly got addicted to it. Um, my life was secondary. Running was first. Um, I had times where, like, I was in a manic episode for a while because of that, you know, uh, running high kind of also triggered the bipolar disorder to have those higher moods. Um, it was really, like, in one way it was the time of my life, and the, the other way it was just miserable, even though I didn't know it was miserable. It, it was hiding from me. I set out to do a half marathon. Uh, it was January. Um, I, I signed up for the Air Force half marathon, and I was going to start training. So I signed up and um, started started running uh, with a group in Dayton, and it was a really good fit, really, uh, really good friends I made along the way. And um, the, the hardest part was feeling like I was doing everything right. I thought I was doing everything right for running, but in the background, I was starving myself. I was I was restricting calories. I was restricting my fluid intake, and like when you do that, your brain gets so foggy, and it it just isn't working at full capacity i started off just running um with the marathon group is you know the other group started halfway through the summer or yeah the summer and i was like all right i'll just start with the marathon group and you know see how it goes even though i signed up for a half marathon i loved it i um i felt free you know and um I kept on running, and I, I had my first half marathon that I did in a training run. I, I went from uh, Dayton area to Xenia. It was just so so exciting. I was I was so proud of myself. I was, you know, something I hadn't felt in a long time because I I went through periods of times where like. I was never proud of myself. I, I never could do anything good enough. And this was that that overall feeling that was amazing. Over the summer, I hit my first 20-mile run. Um, took me four hours, and I, I had a friend, a really good friend, and he said, you know, why not just sign up for the full marathon. You're already over the half marathon distance. You're close to that 26.2 miles. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do that. So I, I I changed over to the full marathon. Now, 
over this time, I was getting worse and worse because I, I started around that time restricting fluids and, and food more and more. But all that was, was in the background in my mind because in in that mindset of a identity that I, I never really thought I had because I, I had something on Facebook and, you know, an update about my my running and my friend put, you know, now you're a runner. And that really stuck with me because I, I, I had struggled with feeling, you know, a true identity at times. And I just latched onto it and I, I, I just went with it because that for that one time, I just felt like, you know, this is who I am. I ended up going on another 20 mile run. I mapped it out for days and, you know, every single point where I was going to go. But this time was different. This time was close to a hundred degree heat. This time took me seven hours because I was so deprived of, of liquids and food that whole day and days before. I'm lucky I didn't pass out or worse, you know, it's I wasn't thinking of any of that. I was just thinking of my next run, my next my next uh, go to of uh, uh, adrenaline. And I got about halfway laid down on the grass and just was was just trying to get air and laid there for about 10 minutes and got back up like I always did and kept running. I didn't see any warning signs there because I was so far gone at that point. I, I wasn't myself anymore, but the only one that could not see how bad I was was myself. Everyone around me knew that I was losing weight. I was, I was looking different, you know, it was, and my health wasn't good in, in that, in that time. And so moving to the marathon, um, a little bit before that, I had a hairline fracture on my foot and I was supposed to be on crutches for a while. And I did it for like two weeks and I'm like, I'm cured, but no, I wasn't. So I, I, I ended up running that marathon because uh, nothing was going to stop me from from completing my goal, my, my, my mission, you know. Um, and it was another close to 100 degree temperature at the, 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 the very beginning. And the Air Force Marathon goes by a flag system where they have um, different colors uh, represent different levels of heat black flag is the highest which is when they cancel that race i had run and run um got to mile 20 about four and a half hours um and it got black flagged now one thing that i i didn't realize about myself is I have addictive personality, as I said earlier. I didn't realize that about myself, but my my mother knew that. Um, but she was at the race, and she was freaking out because 
they had 20 people, I believe, or uh, quite a few people that had stretchers uh, that had to be taken off by stretchers because of um, they passed out from the heat and dehydration. And I didn't see any of that because I was on the, the, the course, but she was worried. She didn't know if I was going to be the next one, but she also knew that even if it got canceled, that I would not stop. I would not stop because I was so, so gone and also so addicted to this, this running. Finally, um, they, they canceled it. Um, and I had to be taken, um, you know, all of us got on a bus and took into the finish line and, um, got our medals. Um, but my friend was at the finish line waiting for me, and he made me on that day realize how bad I was because he saw me and he's like, all right, he, he's taken me over to the tent of um, of the, the med medicine tent, and he's sitting me down, making sure I get electrolytes in, and he says, you do not get up. Um, because he knew I would have gotten up and I wanted to walk back to the car, which was like a mile away, but, um, he made me sit down he's like, do not get up because you were, you know, you were not in a place where you, you were good right now. You're extremely dehydrated. And that's when I realized that like, I really started to realize like I had a problem. And, um, as the time went on after that race, I, um, I started to notice more and more things. I was I was lightheaded a lot more. I was um, just just not there. So, of course, in college, I was a culinary major at that point. So I, I was leaning up against the equipment because I just was struggling to stand all day. I ended up going to a dietitian. Uh, my mom made me go, which I'm so thankful that she did. Um, even if I've you know, wasn't thankful at the time. But the dietitian told me, you were not to run until, you know, you, you gain weight. But to me, that was the worst case scenario. Um, it, it, it was just the end of the world. So I began to purge. I was... Um, I was so unaware of how bad purging is. Um, trigger warning, if anyone uh, is listening with the eating disorder, um, the the content is necessary in my mind to, to stress. But I lost myself completely in two weeks with purging. I was doing laxative abuse and self-induced vomiting. The very beginning, I would only do it in, in, in my house. And it was, I was so, I felt so disgusting and um, just guilty. But as the week went on, I, it just went out of, out of control. I, I, I was driving to like middle of, uh, the the woods just to to do it. I mean, because I I had no 
control at that point of myself it was you know it was like an addiction anything just to get my my fix my fix was self-induced vomiting um because it was all about controlling my weight because i couldn't have that running um i ended up going into a psych uh psychiatric hospital uh shortly after that for about a month um and then i was transferred to Denver, Colorado for residential treatment for three and a half months for uh, for eating, eating disorders. And I felt so alone um, because there's a lot of, a lot fewer of, of, of guys that are getting treatment when the numbers should be a lot higher. Um, there's such stigma, you know, attached to guys getting treatment for, for eating disorders, which is, it's heartbreaking to me because I, I am so, it saved my life. It, it really did. But I met so many nice people. Um, the ratio is like 30 girls to, I think, three guys at, at that point. Um, but I met so many nice people, so many accepting people of um, of who I was, and they made it also so much easier um, to to be there for so long. Lifelong friends, um, truly. Um, but I, I got out after three and a half months, and I had more weight gain because of a medication side effect. And at the time, I was restricting again. Um, I didn't realize that eating disorders were so hard to break. And I'm still dealing with that to this day. It's been five some years. Um, but recovery is not linear. There, there's no you know no solid pathway you just have to keep keep working on it and you have your good days and your bad days i went back to denver for a second time less than a year later i relapsed and um was there for four more months it was a different experience because um different people but it was once again you know a really good experience people wise but when it comes to the treatment for for anorexia um it was so hard the one thing i didn't realize um being that i was always uh with you know the other type of mental illnesses i didn't realize how painful it was um going through the refeeding process um some days were just so hard um i i just i was i was so grateful when it was over um and in the same way i was also feeling that connection to my father constantly because of the pain uh, as i mentioned earlier that was my one way of connecting to my father it really was frustrating because at that moment I didn't want my father to see me in that kind of, you know, scenario because 
I, I just didn't want that. I didn't want him in my in my treatment life right there. Um, I, I still struggle with with um, trying to figure out why that that was the case. Um, because I've always wanted to be have him part of my life, but that one time I just. I just felt like I couldn't have him seeing me like this. I couldn't have him seeing me struggling with food um, because he was a cook, I guess. Um, so I, I didn't want him to see me in that that, that case. Um, but yeah, so after getting back home from there, I decided to just continue to work on my recovery. Um, continue to educate myself on everything I have. I always had one last thing that I, I had on my, my list of things to tackle, and it was trauma. I'm currently doing EMDR uh, therapy, and I'm learning so much about myself and why... I'm affected by my past experiences. Some things I didn't want to know, but some things I did. And that's that's my goal in recovery. Uh, the reason I bring up the thing that the, the trauma is because I'm not finished with that and I'm okay with that. Um, recovery is a process. It, it's not a once you reach it, you're done. That's not how how life works. You just keep at it. You keep keep bettering yourself day to day, and that's why I started this podcast. So one of the reasons was I wanted to give a voice to people with mental health conditions that may feel voiceless or struggle with isolation, but. The more we work together, the more we share our story on who we are, what we've been through, the more acceptance we can get as a community. And also, it's okay to say, I struggled with this. It's okay to get treatment. That's not, it doesn't make you less of a person. So that's why this podcast is going to serve for. For people with with a story to share. Thank you, Brandon, for giving us your testimony today. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to Empower Half an Hour. If you want to learn more, check us out at Instagram.com forward slash Empower Half an Hour. Have a great day.